Good morning and welcome. We are so glad you're here today. We're very thankful for your presence. It's a beautiful day. Very thankful for the opportunity that we have to be together today as Christians. We're so thankful that if you're visiting, you have chosen to come our way. We invite you to come back every opportunity that you have. Very thankful for all the visitors that come our way from week to week. We're going to be looking in just a moment at Mark chapter 10, the passage read a moment ago, Mark chapter 10. And in our study today, we want to think about the theme, really we want to think about a very important theme, and that is Jesus always has time for us. It might be somewhat odd to think about the fact that there's a God in heaven who is concerned about our plight here on planet earth might seem unrealistic to think about the Lord Jesus being concerned about the difficulties and trials that we experience in life. But the fact of the matter is the Lord is concerned. As we sang a moment ago, the Lord does care. I want to introduce you to a gentleman by the name of Bartimaeus. And the text tells us a lot about him. It talks about his physical condition, speaks to us about his, well, about the problem that he faced in life and some of the consequences of that problem. And when I look at this passage of Scripture, what stands out to me is the fact that there is a Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who genuinely cares, who is there for us, and who wants to help us. I want to begin by talking about, first and foremost, let's talk about His condition. Now Mark tells us when they came to Jericho, Jesus had been in Jerusalem. Jericho was about 16 miles or so northeast of the city of Jerusalem. It is one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world. So when we think about this city in the long ago, obviously there were a lot of people that were living in that city. Jesus makes His way to Jericho, and upon arriving in that town, He comes into contact with a man by the name of Bartimaeus. So pick up with me in verse 46. They came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, I can only imagine the multitudes of people that constantly found the Lord Jesus and had the intention of spending time with Him. He's always surrounded by people, it seems. And so note, if you would, what is said about Bartimaeus. First and foremost, he was a blind man. The Bible speaks of him as blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, who sat by the road begging. When I step back and contemplate what it means to be blind, the first thing that comes to my mind is what an unfortunate condition. And not just an unfortunate condition, but also unfortunate circumstances. Sometimes we 
talk about the circumstances of life and how some people it seems as if there's a black cloud that always hovers over their lives. I read this past week that there are about five, well, I want to say five million or so people, well, let me back up, 50 million people worldwide that are living in total blindness. I started to say in the U.S., but worldwide. 50 million people. Can you imagine not being able to see the sun as it sets at night? Or the sunrise in the morning? Or what about in spring when the flowers begin to bloom and the trees begin to turn colors? Leaves begin to form and bud. And those beautiful, beautiful colors surround us. Imagine not being able to see the face of the people that you love. Your mate, your children, your grandchildren. Blindness is a terrible thing in many ways. Now I know that there are some people that have turned this disability. They have turned it into something very positive in life. But this guy is a blind man. And sometimes our position in life causes a chain of events. So think with me if you would. First, we read about his his blindness, but then Mark tells us he was a beggar. His condition and his unfortunate circumstances. The fact that here was a disabled man, and because of his disability, he was destitute in life. There are over a hundred, there are over a million people in this country alone who are homeless. Those in our country who are homeless, in many ways, are still far better off than others who live in third world countries. But there's a lot to be said for living a destitute life. You remember in Luke 15, we read about the prodigal son. And the Bible tells us he went out into that, into that far country and wasted his substance, wasted the money that had been entrusted into his care with riotous living. And the Bible tells us he began to be in want. No one gave to him. Here's a man who is blind and he's a beggar. He's sitting by the roadside asking people to give him money. So what a terrible condition. But now, think with me in the second place if you would. First, his condition, and then his cry. In verse 47, the Bible says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Do you think this man knew something about Jesus? Is it possible that he had had picked up some information along the way about the power of Jesus? Look, he cried out to the person Jesus, specifically addressing him as the son of David. He recognized, I think, something about the deity of Christ, the fact that He had all power. 
John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This was God in the flesh passing Him by. You remember John said, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Here is a man that is in the presence of Jesus, the Son of the living God. And so, our text tells us that he looks to Jesus, the one who is described as deity. He also looks to him as the one who is identified as the deliverer the Messiah. Note again what is said. Have mercy on me, Jesus, Son of David. Have mercy on me. Can you imagine His plight? I mean, here's a beggar. He's a poor man, destitute, sitting by the roadside begging for help. And Jesus is passing by. And he's asking the Lord Jesus to have mercy on him. And he connects Jesus to the son of David. The Jews in ancient times, they knew, they believed that the Messiah was connected to David. And so in his cry to the son of David, he was affirming that Jesus was the one who had the power, the ability to deliver people. So he cries out to the Lord Jesus. But then consider also, if you would, in our text, not only does he cry out to the person Jesus, but the text tells us he cries out persistently to Jesus. Verse 48, I think about all of the multitude of people surrounding the Lord. And here is blind Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside and he's begging. And the people are saying to be quiet. They warned him to be quiet. But note, Mark said, he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Had you been in that condition and the Lord Jesus happened to be passing by you, would you have cried out to him? Do you think that you would have looked to Jesus as the one who could offer you hope? When he cried out to Jesus and said, Have mercy on me, son of David, I think he recognized, look, this is my hope. This guy right here has the ability to give me hope. What's he hoping for? He wants to receive his eyesight. Drop down, look if you would at the text. When Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Verse 51, he said that I might receive my sight. Oh yes, he knew something about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt he had heard of this great miracle worker from Nazareth. He was familiar with the fact that Jesus had healed many, many people. I mean, this this is somebody very special. So he recognizes that this man can offer him hope, but not just hope, but also help. Because he said, have mercy on me, son of David. Lord, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me eyesight. I want to to have 
restoration of sight. Some six times in the gospel narratives, we read about people who were blind. In John 9, we read about a man who was born blind. And so there were people that had, they had that disability of blindness. And this man obviously knew that Jesus had the ability to give him sight. So he cried out to the one who could offer him hope and the one who could offer him help. Didn't the psalmist in the long ago say, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble? Are there not times in life when we are submerged in a life of problems? That we too face trials and tribulations. Sometimes our lives are turned upside down. Sometimes because of the conditions that we face in life, the circumstances that we find ourselves are less than ideal. That's where this guy was in life. So he's looking to Jesus as the one who offers hope and the one who offers help. I like the words of the psalmist in Psalm 121. The psalmist said, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. He asked this question, from whence comes my help? He said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now think about that for a minute. The psalmist recognized that he could look to Jehovah God, that he could look to the Lord because he had the ability to help him. And why? Why would he have that kind of confidence? Why would he look to Jehovah God as a source for help and hope? I can tell you why. Because he recognized that Almighty God made the heavens and the earth. And I think what he's saying is if God had the power and he did to make the heavens and the earth, let me tell you what, he can help me with whatever problems I face in life. So this guy cries out for help. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is his cure. It's an amazing story. Now, note with me if you would. Jesus is passing by. And this guy's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the people are trying to quieten him down. They're warning him to be quiet. And yet he's crying out. And he's saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now look at verse 49. 49, I think, verse 49 is a very important verse in this context. Listen to what Mark said. So Jesus stood still. Now wait a minute. Here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, surrounded by a multitude of people. He is always on the move, always working, always laboring, always engaged in the work of the Father, isn't He? Wasn't it Jesus that said in John chapter 9, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. We're talking about a guy that had a very, a very limited amount of time to work. We would say he is extremely busy. He's got a lot of things going on. And here he is passing through town. Bartimaeus hears about him coming through town. He cries out, have mercy on me. And what does the Lord do? Stand still. Listen again what the text says. And Jesus stood, stood, stood still. What does that say to us? It says the Lord is not too busy 
for us, doesn't it? How many times have you reached out to someone and asked them to give you just a few minutes of their time and they say, I'm just too busy, don't have time. You know, there are a lot of folks in the world today that have a lot of power. There are people in our world that have tremendous abilities. Think about, think about you've got a, a health issue and you want to see the doctor. Just the other day, my dad asked me if I would make an appointment for him at the doctor's office. I called to make an appointment, and do you know what they told me? They said, this guy's booked three months out. I said, well, do you have somebody else he could see? Oh, they're booked three weeks out. How's that for help? How's that for immediate help? So, you know, there are a lot of people that are, that are busy in this world. And what this text says to us is, the Lord Jesus isn't too busy for us, is He? The Lord's not too busy for us. When I step back and think about the privileges that we have as Christians, it's an amazing thought. Just a minute ago, I cited Psalm 121 when the psalmist talked about lifting up his eyes to the hills. And he asked the question, from whence comes my help? He said, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Did you know that when you go into the presence of the throne room of God and you bow your head praying to God, that God is not too busy to listen to your prayers. How many times have you tried talking to somebody and you're talking to them about a very serious matter in life. And what are they doing? They're looking at their phone and they're sending a text. Or you're trying to talk to them and they're looking again at their iPhone and they're, and they're, they're Googling. You ever had that happen? Well, what are they saying? I've got other things that, I've, that, I'm, that I'm interested in. You know, they may have one eye on you, but they've got one eye, one eye on something else. That's not the case with God. We live in a world of some 7 billion people. And when you read the Scriptures, what you find out is, when you as a child of God enter into the throne room of God, and you begin to petition the God of heaven, you have His absolute undivided attention. Now think about that. This is the sovereign ruler of the universe. The Bible says that Jesus stood still. And as a child of God, when we come before the throne of God, the very one who made the heavens and the earth, who sustains the world, we have His absolute undivided attention. Can you say that about anybody else? I don't know of anybody else that gives us that kind of attention. The Hebrew writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Jesus is not only too busy, but we need to understand Jesus is not bothered by us. Now, you know, there are some people in the world today, some that you might identify with as a friend or a family member. 
It might be the case that you've been wrestling with something for a long time and you've been bearing some burdens and trials in your life and you're looking for some help. You're looking for somebody to help shoulder that load with you. And there are times in life when quite, quite frankly, people will tell you, look, number one, I'm too busy, I don't have time. And number two, I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be bothered by what you have going on in your life. That's not the case with the Lord, is it? He is not bothered when we come before Him. I've known some folks in the past that have had a lot of trouble. And I know that sometimes people, because of the gravity of where they are in life. They reach out over and over and over again, many times to the same person. And over a period of time, they begin to think, you know what, I am a nuisance to him or her. I'm burdening them with what I'm bringing before them. Look, you need to understand, you are not a burden to the Lord. The Lord has the ability to shoulder whatever problem you have. There is not a burden you have in this life. There's not a problem that you have that the Lord doesn't have the ability or the capacity to shoulder. Let me ask this question. You know anybody else like that? And not only does He have the ability to bear our burdens, but here's the amazing thing. He wants our burdens. Do you not find that? Do you not find that incredible? Look, I'm not out looking to bear burdens. Are you? Now, I understand Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I understand the nature of that. But I understand I have limitations. There's only so much I can do. I'm just one person. But to understand that the Lord in heaven is willing to aid us to carry those burdens. Didn't David say in Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord? What will He do? Do you remember? He will sustain you. Didn't Peter say, casting all your care on Him? Why, Lord? Because He cares for you. The Lord cares about you. So to just step back and think about, you know what? The Lord's not too busy for me. He's not saying, you're, you're insignificant. He's not bothered when you come to Him. So here's Jesus. He's going through Jericho. Multitudes of people are around Him. Bartimaeus is crying out, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And Jesus stands still. Do you not think the Lord would stand still for us? And listen attentively to what we have going on in life. There's a second thing I want you to see. Not only did he have time for Bartimaeus, but the Bible tells us he treated Bartimaeus. In other words, the Lord Jesus had the ability to treat his condition. So look with me, if you would, at our text. Jesus stood still, commanded him to be called. 
They called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise. He's calling you. Imagine. You're crying out to the Son of God to have mercy on you. You're just trying to get His attention. Jesus stands still, and then He says, I want you to come to Me. How quickly do you think you could be in the presence of the Lord? Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want Me to do for you? I want to just stop there for a minute. Is prayer not an invitation to go into the presence of God and express to Him what we want Him to do on our behalf? Now, I understand that we go to God in prayer to praise. We go to God in prayer to thank Him for all that He's done for us. The word supplicate. The idea that it's as if we are an indigent beggar asking the very God of heaven to intercede on our behalf. And so here we are, bowing in the presence of God. And here is the Lord. The Lord, He's heard the people tell Bartimaeus, look, you need to be quiet. He saw the people warn Bartimaeus. But Jesus stood still and He commanded him to be called. And when He asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? He said that I might receive my sight. Did he have an intrinsic need? Yes, he did. Did he have a problem that no one else could help? could help with? The answer is yes. I really believe that he cried out to the Master. The Master who alone has the ability to help. Do you know anybody else comparable to the Lord? You know anybody else that has the ability to help you? To offer you hope like Jesus does? Now you think about the hope that we have in Christ. Are there people in our world today that view their situation in life as absolutely hopeless? Yes. Here's Bartimaeus. He's blind. He's a beggar. This is his only hope for sight, isn't it? So he's crying out to Jesus. Why? Because he understands this is my one hope passing by. Here's what we need to understand. When it comes to the salvation of our immortal soul, with regard to our spiritual needs, Jesus is our one and only hope. There is no other hope, is there? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, the Apostle Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If people could only understand that Jesus and Jesus alone offers hope. I'm talking about real hope. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul talked about those who are without hope and without God in this world. Can you imagine being in a situation that you would classify as hopeless? Do you remember the events of 9-11? You remember that? Almost 20 years ago, planes hit those towers 
And the World Trade Center buildings came down one at a time. Almost, well, over 3,000 people perished. Imagine you happened to be working that day. At that time, my mom worked for an international insurance company. They had offices in the Trade Center. Those people perished when those planes hit the towers. They either perished when the planes hit the towers and they were vaporized or died by fire, or they died because they couldn't escape. But it was a hopeless situation. Do you remember, do you remember seeing the people that were literally jumping out of windows? Do you know why they were doing that? Because they recognized they had no hope. Maybe in their heart of hearts and their minds, they thought, you know what, I'd rather just take a chance. Maybe somehow, some way, I can hit something and make it. I don't know. But they had no hope. People on the rooftop crying out for help. No help. No hope. Paul said, if you're outside of Christ, you have no hope. You're without God in this world. But note the difference. Verse 13, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are made near, brought near by the blood of Christ. Then in verse 14, he said, For he is our peace. Let me tell you what. Jesus and Jesus alone is the master who offers hope. I'm talking about real genuine hope. And you think about the hope for a better life, a quality life here on planet earth, to live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. But Jesus, the Master, not only offers hope, but the Bible tells us Jesus, the Master, is the one who heals. Note if you would, Jesus said to this man, go your way, your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road. Are there not people in our world today, they feel, they feel absolutely helpless? Their view in life is that of hopelessness. No hope for a better life. No hope for a better quality of life. No hope for change conditions. They view themselves as spiraling out of control. And yet this man, because of his faith, was made well. Jesus said, look, your faith, listen to him again. He said, your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight. The Lord Jesus healed this man. What I want you to understand in closing today is this. Because of sin and because of the bondage and burden of sin, there are people in our world today, they view themselves as without hope. They view themselves without any kind of help. In their heart of hearts, in their mind, what they will say is, you know what, I don't have any hope. And how many times have you heard people say, but you just don't understand. You don't understand. 
You, don't, you have no idea what I've done in my life. You don't understand how deep in sin I am, I am in. You don't understand the shame and the stain of sin that I battle every day. My life is covered up with guilt. I don't have any hope for a better day. Do you really think God in heaven would save me? You know what their answer is? Absolutely not. But Paul said, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Let me tell you, the reason we need the Lord is because of sin. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Him, but we need Him. He loved us, sent His Son to die for us. When? When? When we were ungodly. Jesus has the ability to heal us. So where you are in your life, I have absolute confidence. The Lord can heal you. Now you say, how much so? In Hebrews chapter 8, the writer said in the long ago, speaking of the blessings that we enjoy in Christ Jesus, he said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities, listen to him, I will remember no more. We could do a case study of the Apostle Paul, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, a man that consented to the deaths of many, many people who were followers of the way, a man who stood, stood by as Stephen was stoned. And yet he said, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. I want you to know something. Paul said, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God has the ability or the capacity to save you no matter where you are in life. God has the ability and the power to wipe away all of your sins. Not just some of your sins, but all of your sins. Does the Lord Jesus care about us? Yes, He does. Does the Lord have time for us? Yes, He does. So, where are you spiritually? Do you need Christ in your life? Are you living today without Christ? I want you to know it's a hopeless life without Him. It's a helpless life because outside of Christ, there is no one who can help you with your sin problem. Absolutely no one. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Look, He's your only hope. But the beauty of it is, because He is our hope, He can heal us. Imagine being blind. And then being able to see. The song that we sing, Amazing Grace, I was blind, but now I see. This man was blind, but Jesus made the difference. If you're here today and you're struggling with sin, I want you to know, I want you to know that the Lord has time for you in this life, and the Lord can treat your sin problem. He has the ability to forgive every sin. So what would you need to do? 
Well, first you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God because Jesus Himself said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And then if you will come to the Lord, repenting of your sins, being buried with Him in baptism, the beauty of Scripture is you can be forgiven. The Lord will put you in the church. You'll be among the saved. And then just live a faithful life and God will give you that crown of life. If you're here today and maybe you've wandered away from, from the Lord, maybe you're back out in that world of sin and you're without hope in your mind, no hope, no help, and you want to be healed today. You want to be back in fellowship with God, enjoying the blessings of His grace. Why not come today as we stand and sing?